I came back from Afghanistan, got in a crazy firefight right before I was about to come home. I was literally calling in for air support. I had thousands of bullets raining in. I had no cover. I, I still don't know how I lived that day. But if I can take 20 men, 40 men, 100 men, 1,000 men, that ripple effect will change masculinity in the world. And I hate masculinity right now in the world. And so the big vision is that I want to change masculinity. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Behind the Rise podcast. Today, we have a special guest here, Nathan Mansfield. He is a 13-year special warfare veteran, and he's the CEO of SP Nutrition and Crucible, a men's health, uh, men's coaching and mentorship program. Um, that's something that he's really excited about uh, getting the ball rolling. So, Nathan, thanks for taking the time to meet with us today. Um, we're super excited to get into your story, hear about your background, um, you know, and, and, you know, we're pumped to get into it. So, you know, why don't we start with, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, you know, kind of, you know, like high school years kind of in, in how you ended up joining the military and, and, and take it from there. Yeah. So guys, appreciate you, uh, honor and a blessing to be here with you guys to share my story and just to, to chat with you guys and some other successful entrepreneurs, man. I enjoyed this time. So thank you so much for having me on the show. But, uh, just to get a little bit into my story, I mean, I could go on for hours cause it's very, you know, it's, <laughs> my story is, is far from ordinary. It's, it's far from, you know, regular, lots of highs and lows, ups and downs. That's kind of the story of my life is always the, the kid who's, who's got problems or issues or struggling with something and overcomes it. Um, that's the story of my entire life. But when you look back at me in my, you know, junior high, high school years, I was always the kid that was kind of unsure of himself, unconfident, skinny, no muscle. Um, you know, even when I, when I went to try to play football, I played football, started playing football at a young age, but I just was so small that I would, it was hard for me to keep up. Um, my dad naturally was 140 pounds through high school. I was like 115. It just really small dude. Wow. And, uh, with that brought a lot of insecurity, you know, everybody, the girls outgrew me. I'm five, seven, I'm a short guy. So, you know, I think in that I had, I got picked on for being the short guy, the little guy, girls called me shrimp. Um, you know, pushed me around at like sixth, seventh, eighth grade. So I had a lot of insecurity about my size and my stature. And I was just a very unconfident, you know, I, I grew up in a, a verbally abusive household. My stepfather was a complete asshole. Nothing ever was ever good enough. Um, it didn't matter what I did. I always tell the story. I remember he would bring in pallets of, of salt water pellets for our restaurant. I grew up in a restaurant 20 years. My parents owned a restaurant and I, I started busting tables and, and cooking and all kinds of things. That's where I work, learned my work ethic and things, but he would bring in these pallets of, you know, 80 pound bags of, of, of saltwater pellets. And I would, I would do everything I could just me all, all 90 pounds of me carrying these saltwater pellet bags that are probably almost my weight down these stairs one by one and one, it would take me hours and I would just be exhausted. But my work ethic was, was crazy because I just wanted to impress my, my stepdad. And it was, you know, he would come down and I would do it so fast. I was so impressed with myself and he would just be like, F this, F this, you screwed this up. You didn't put this. And it was just, that's the story of my whole childhood is that no matter what I did and no matter how hard I worked, it was never good enough. It was, there was always something to say. I was never, I'm proud of you. Thank you. It was like, you F this up, this bag wasn't put right. And so that's the kind of toxic trap that my, my head, my mind grew up as a child. And so it, you know, I'm so grateful for it to this day because it created a work ethic in me. And it's one of the reasons that I'm, I've been successful in my life, but, um, you know, going through high school and building confidence, it was just really challenging. And so at the age of 15, I found alcohol started, uh, I didn't really fit in until I started drinking. And I just found that if I drank, people liked me. I was a very socially awkward kid. You know, I, I was an introvert, so I, did, I didn't get along with people well. I just couldn't, I felt like I felt like I wasn't cool. So, but I did find that when I was 15 and I started drinking alcohol, my, my, I gave myself permission to, to be a little bit more vocal and to be funny and people started to like me. And so this, the alcohol filled this void inside of me that was so afraid to talk to people and so afraid to connect with people and uh, so unconfident that it made me really confident. And so I had this bulletproof confidence of, this liquid courage for drinking. And, and so then I became very addicted to alcohol. I was drinking every single weekend, getting blackout drunk through high school, getting, you know, got in trouble with the cops. And I was still working for my mom, making, you know, seven, eight bucks an hour, cooking, cooking meals in the kitchen. Um, but inside I was just a very empty kid. 
you know, uh, then, then graduate from there. And we can go back and touch on it. There's a lot of substance here if we want to go back and touch on any of this, but <laughs> this is where it transitioned into me going into college. I was, you know, luckily I was gifted with some intelligence with mathematics and, you know, I have an engineer's brain. It's why I'm an entrepreneur. I'm really good at seeing things. I'm a visionary and being able to make them come to life. And so I went to college to be an entrepreneur, or I'm sorry, to be a, to a, be an architectural engineer. And, uh, began to kept just kept partying and partying and what i found is as soon as i was away from any responsibility at all and it was just me and three of my friends in an apartment complex uh, i basically sabotaged all responsibility i would get blackout drunk three nights a week i was just on a really bad path and i just i remember waking up incredibly hungover one day i think i was still drunk and i had just done some really dumb shit the night before and i felt all this guilt and conviction in my heart and i was like man you're gonna have to start doing you gotta, you gotta make some decisions to do something different and all my friends were making fun of me but th- it was they were making fun of me in this way that was that was like funny because i was the funny guy like all the fu- all the dumb shit i did when i was drunk would be something we talked about the next day and i just felt like such an idiot and i remembered i remembered back in my high school days and younger teenage days that I had this dream of joining the military, but I never had the courage to do it. It was like, oh, that, that looks cool. War looks cool, but I never had the balls to do it. So I hit this point where I was like, you know what? I don't, th- what I'm doing is not working and I'm going to have to do something different. And so I just went to a recruiter's office. I've always been a pretty impulsive guy. I can make decisions, big decisions off a whim and just go in, go all in. And so went to a recruiter's office within two months. I was at basic training um, and joined the military. And that moment at 19 really was a big catalyst for change in my life. I think if I would have never made that decision, I probably would have failed out of college, gone back to my hometown. You know, who knows what would have happened. Been, definitely been broke potentially dead. I was drinking and driving a lot, just doing mm-hmm. dumb shit. So that was the, really the catalyst for a new me changing into a completely different human when I joined the military in 19. Wow. So you, so that takes some big balls, right? So you, you researched it before and you felt like this calling to kind of pull you there to like, to make some type of change. And you went right down to the recruiter's office and, and signed up. Yep. What'd your parents think about that? Or your stepdad uh, and your mom? My stepdad was, was happy because he's like, oh, yeah, maybe the military will fix him. And he's probably right. And my mom um, obviously was very upset because um, I was about to just up and leave with really no warning. It was just like, hey, he's here today and he's gone in a couple months. And, you know, we we're in the middle of Iraq and Afghanistan war. So there's always that fear of your son going to war. So my mom was, you know, she didn't tell me not to, but she was, I mean, she had crazy anxiety about it all and was very fearful about the decision as I assume any parent could be. Yeah. And what branch did you join? I joined the air force. I called my, I called my uncle who was a retired Marine and I said, Hey, I'm thinking about joining the army, um, or the Marines. And he's like, don't do either. As he said, if you want a good life, join the, the, uh, the air force or then the Navy. And I said, you sure about that? And he's like, yeah, trust me. I've been around for a while. And so, Boats in the ocean didn't really sound cool to me, so I, I joined the Air Force. Nice, that's awesome. So, how did um, you know? So, you were in the mili- you were in the Air Force for thirteen years. Mm-hmm. So that's some, you know, that's I mean, I know a lot of people who did four years. You know, like you did your your first, you know, whatever, like your first duty. So you renewed. So was your was your like plan to be like a career mil- military person? Yeah, once absolutely. you joined. Absolutely. I mean, I fell in love with the military. It gave me structure. It gave me discipline. It helped me turn my life around. I loved serving. I loved deploying. So like I found this, I found like, I, you know, it seemed like I found my thing. I was very happy with the military life. I didn't really care about the pay being shit. Like I just enjoyed what I was doing. It gave me purpose and meaning in my life. And then once I switched over to TACP, Tactical Air Control Party, where we actually get to go kick down doors and shoot people in the face and call an airstrikes on the enemy. Once I had the knack to do that and the balls to do that, man, I, I loved my job because we brought ultimate destruction and chaos to the enemy. And I love the deployments I did there. I got, I got addicted to firefights and, and doing cool shit. And so like it was, I was set, man. And so I just kept renewing until, you know, the point where I had become, this is a whole nother transition that we'll get into, but my business took off to doing 
you know, seven figures while I was in. And so I was just put in a place where I had nine employees on the side and working 60 hours in the military and I had to make a decision. With when, where were you deployed? My first deployment was Iraq in 2009. Um, so that was like literally within a year of me joining, I was already in Iraq, which I volunteered for that deployment. It was a, it was a last, you know, they, they needed someone to fill it. And I was like, send me, I'll go. Um, and then 2000, uh, 2011 and I was in Afghanistan. Uh, and then 2014 I was in Kuwait and a lot of places in the Middle East, Kuwait, Jordan, and a few other countries. Hmm. Wow. That's interesting. You're always the first one to want to go, right? You felt like you always Absolutely. had something to prove. You think that came, you think that came from your stepdad and nothing was ever good enough, right? That's a familiar story. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Yep. So, so what were like, did, did you take a lot of lessons from the military? Like as you transitioned into your like business, um, uh, into your business career? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, you just look at the, the structure and the discipline. Most of us have no clue what any of that's like if we didn't have any sort of, you know, most, most people are not very structured and disciplined. Uh, unless you had a really good dad, you know, that just had a shit together. Most men don't know what structure, order, and discipline is. And so, like, I learned a lot of that that I didn't have. I'm a creative mind. So, like, structure and discipline is actually my, is my enemy. And so it, it forced me to have those. And, and I wouldn't have been able to build the companies I've built without it because, you know, it, it's just forced me to be in a, you know, have that alignment with myself and have goals and to have, you know, build processes and things. And uh, to, to really to be able to wake up in the morning at 4 a.m. and get after it. And I've always had a strong work ethic, but the military definitely gave me a lot of tools. And then you see how the military runs organizations and, and entities and leadership. And so I took all that, how they run staff meetings, how they run leadership training. And so all these things being a part of, you know, multiple, multiple units in the military and seeing leaders and exposed to leaders, good leaders and bad leaders and poor management and good management. It's like, it gave me so much exposure of what I wanted to do with my companies and what I knew would not work and what would not be good. If you think about the massive organization that the military is, oh, it's, yeah. it's really like a massive company with yeah. incredible structure with, Big with time. all different types of things all over the world, different types yeah. of operations i mean even even for like how the food gets cooked for like yep. all those all the people yeah. on the bases like down to every single thing is is in, takes incredible organization and structure <laughs> and communication and everything that it takes in, in business and culture too yeah yeah, yeah. Cul culture yeah. the problem right now is I mean, I mean i don't know the stats but i'm sure there's a very low att like attendance rate in the in the military and armies throughout the country right now and it's probably because our leadership you know, at the top, like the culture of the, our government yeah. mm -hmm. isn't yeah. like patriotic, you know, as no. it used to be. Yeah. You know, let's just say like post 9-11 or, or even before 9-11. That's yeah. a question for you, though. What was that like? Like, do, that? You, do you remember like who the president was? Did that have any effect on you when you were in the in the forces? It, it I mean, minor, minor. Like if I would have been in through COVID, it would have had a lot bigger effect on me. But um you know, I, I, yeah. I was actually exiting the military right when COVID was introduced, but I think I would have probably had some big issues. Uh, I would have probably got kicked out if I was still in. And I, it was actually, I was on the tail yeah. of it. I was in the guard. I, I transferred, transitioned to the guard my last year. And they were telling me that I was going to need to get the shot in order to, to stay in. And I was like, well, I'm getting out anyway. So you can just, you know, so I would have had some resistance there. Yeah. There was nothing really that, you know, it did change like some rules of engagement and how we drop bombs and how we can defend ourselves, you know, in Afghanistan. So, you know, Obama was, was president during that time and, and rules of engagement were, were a lot stricter because, you know, the president can handcuff us and how we are able to defend ourselves and how we were able to like attack the enemy. So for sure it did have an impact um, that could put us in dangerous situations, you know? Because if, if mm -hmm. I drop a if I drop a five hundred pound bomb and I, and I technically wasn't legal to do it, I can be I can go to Leavenworth and go to prison for years. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So everyone was on pins and needles. Trent, you know, probably oh you know, yeah, didn't want to make a mistake, right? With the yeah. with the new changes, absolutely. That's no, that's no way to play, even in a even in a game. Yeah, like you can't play scared. No, you can't play scared. No, I mean especially in that. I mean, but I'm even in like sports or. Anything you can't play scared when you're in those situations. They were no. forcing people. Everyone had to be vaccinated in the military, right? Everybody. Correct. Yep. It's fucking. Did you? You never got vaccinated. You left before that. Absolutely. 
I'm yeah, so I was, pissed I got vaccinated. I'm so mad. I got the first shot. I was, and yeah. I, it's like one of the biggest regrets I have. Yeah, I was I the only like, one that, that held out. Tino held out. <laughs> my <laughs> parents were giving me so much pressure. My brothers were giving me so much pressure. I you was like pressure and shit. Dude. Yes, you were, dude. Because <laughs> you were like, well, dude, dude, mom, who cares? Like, mom is just. Like, yeah, no, we mom. just wanted to well, satisfy because, our parents. Because, because at our, the time, <laughs> it was supposed to stop, uh, you know, transmission. Right. That, but mm. but to and, me. And our dad is like really. He's um, heart disease. He's, he, he's got heart disease. He's diabetic. Mm, like, he's right. like, if he gets it, he's in trouble, right? I just yeah. didn't buy into the theory of it. Right. Like, I just don't think that you can come up with a medicine that fast and deploy it that. I looked at it like, okay, clearly this is a like a move to, like, give peace to the country, like, in the world, to try to, like, slow everyone down for panic. I just didn't believe in what it was actually doing. There's no way they can create something that fast and deploy it that fast. I think mm -hmm. they needed to in order to, like, you know, kind of put the country at peace to try to at least try to make things go back to normal. But I was like, I, I don't buy this. There's no fucking way. And then... You know, once you go down the rabbit hole and start seeing, you know, like what the fuck is really going on behind the scenes and how much money mm -hmm. they're making and just following that money trail and that just didn't, didn't never made sense to me. You know? Yeah. yeah. Good for you. Yeah. You were young, healthy too. You Thank know? God, dude. Thank God. Cause I have anxiety. If I took that anytime I had like a, a shit feel weird or, you know, any heart palpitate, I would just be like, I, that's probably the, the biggest reason why you didn't take, you just didn't want to. Yeah, exactly. Well, you're no, just a this pussy. Was, no, this was before. <laughs> This is before yeah. my panic attack mm -hmm. was 2021. Yeah. yeah. All right. Anyway, now off. that we went off that tangent. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so now, you, you know, so when you transitioned out of the military into, I think SP uh, nutrition was your first, like was your, was your baby, right? Coming out yeah. of the military. This was the thing that you started when you were still in and, and yeah, that, it was, you know, gave you the, um, yeah. Yeah, it was in 20, uh, I came back from Afghanistan, uh, got in a crazy firefight right before I was about to come home, um, nearly lost my life. I was literally uh, calling in for air support, holding up a, a satellite communications antenna, and uh, the enemy knows what that is. They know that that's the guy that's calling in for the jets that are going to wreak havoc on them. And so, you know, I had thousands of bullets raining in. I had no cover. I, I still don't know how I lived that day, but when I came back to my my room that night we took helicopters back to the the fob and i just had this kind of this awakening that you know i was playing too, playing too little in life and so that's when i decided that when i came home i was going to going to become an entrepreneur and, and do something more than what i'm doing now and so i started my first business it was called american athlete nutrition it was just a brick and mortar supplement shop outside of fort carson in colorado springs the store exists today still that was my entry into entrepreneurship and into the nutrition industry and then um i ran that company for about five years i mean still runs like obviously but but then just had a desire to create my own line my own you know and so we started we began we began to produce supplements and apparel from our for our own line at that point um, taken to the place of where I exited the military in 2019, we had turned it into a seven figure business. And like I said, I had, I had nine employees working for me and I would, I would leave the military at 3 PM and go show up and be a CEO from three to seven and then wake up and do the same thing. Work Saturdays, Sundays. It was just, you know, probably working a hundred plus hours a week easily. Um, to the point where I just couldn't manage both anymore. Uh, I, I loved what I did in the why military. Su why go. supplements? At the, yeah, I, why supplements? Well, so when, when you look at my troubled past of being unconfident in myself, you know, I graduated high school at 140 pounds. When I joined the military, I was 19 and, and a couple guys got me into working out and I became obsessed. I mean, I, I have never quit more than four days in a row since I was 19 and I'm 36. I've, it's been, I've been incredibly consistent in my physical fitness, but I just had such a it, it, if physical fitness be, began to fulfill all these different needs that maybe alcohol was filling at one point, it was still filling a void in me, right? It was giving me, it was giving me um, attention. It was giving me strength. It was giving me confidence. It was, you know, it was false because those things are all built internally, not externally, but it was fulfilling these needs in me that was like, okay, well, girls started to pay attention to me. I started to stand up a little bit with my chest up. You know, I was, I was more confident around dudes. I, I would challenge guys more. And so, I found this addiction now that went from alcohol to working out because it was filling those, those, those voids in my heart. And so I started to become really obsessed. I'm, I'm, you know, one thing about me is that whenever I get into something I love, I'm going to dissect it and I'm going to try to want to start a business about it because I just, I always think that I can figure out how to do it better than everybody else. 
you know, because I think people, I mean, no offense, but I think most people just suck at business. They just, most people are mediocre, nothing mm-hmm. against them. I, I'm not exceptional, but I do dissect things and I see all the things that people do mediocre and I go, well, I can make that better. And so that's what I did with, with nutrition. It was like, well, all, a lot of these companies are watering down products and, and they taste like shit and they, and they're, you know, putting bullshit in these. I'm like, I'll create something that's actually good. And so that's where I got into, and I, and I was spending a shit ton of money on supplements anyways at that time in my life. And so I was like, well, I'll just create my own supplement line. And that's kind of the serial entrepreneur mm-hmm. in me is like, saw the opportunity and, and just went for it. That's awesome. So now, so now you, you had that going with your nine employees, right? You, you, um, you left the military and then you took that, you know, you, you ran with that. So how, the, how long ago was that from, how long ago was that? 13 years ago, I think you said? Uh, when I was, when I did what? When, uh, like when you left the military and, and really went full no, time no, no. into business. That was 2019. Oh, 2019. Okay. Yeah, so, so four years so, ago. So four years. Okay. So how how was that journey been, you know, and, and kind of tell us a little bit about how you grew that company. You know, were you going direct to consumers at all brick and mortar mm-hmm. online business? Uh, yeah. So essentially we had grown through, I mean, our, my claim to fame as far as building businesses has been social media. We, we were able to scale and grow multiple companies, seven to eight figures using the power of social media and influencers. And so that's what we really, me and my ex-wife really caught onto that and, and the, the potential. It was actually, we, we figured this out because what I've, what I've been really good at is seeing people's uh, influence on social and being able to monetize it. I think that that's, that's one of my gifts is seeing what people have and be able to help them make money. And so my, my ex-wife had some decent influence. She had like 20,000 followers. And I was like, wait a minute, like, let me take this product. Let me come up with this marketing thing. And then let's hand it to you and let you push it out to your people and let's see what we can do. And we did, we had this fat loss product and we started pushing out her on her social. And all of a sudden, like we had no systems or anything. It was literally, we were manually sending PayPal invoices, but I helped her craft this message Mm. and she went and pushed it out. And before you knew it, all of a sudden we would do like, $2,000 a day in product. And we're like, there's something here. Right. And so we just continued to build that method and use social media influencers as well as ourselves to push our products. And so when I got out of the military, we just continued to build teams of, of influencers and, and, uh, leverage the influence of other people. And so that's how we scaled from, you know, I think 350, 350,000 a year to, we had a 1 million a year. And then the next year we, we scaled all the way up to, I think 4.7, almost 5 million the next year. Um, so the thing just really took off like a wildfire and it was actually oddly enough, the year I got out of the military, when I went all in my business, five X in revenue. Oh, wow. That's awesome. How'd you, how'd you pick your influencers? I know like, you know, for us, we have different tools or like, you know, at night when I can't sleep, I'll just fire through like hashtags and geotags and try to Mm -hmm. find the best influencers or the best engagement. Did you have any method to the madness when you were picking your your influencers, like was there any ethos you were following or anything specifically that they were doing that caught your eye? Yeah, for sure. Um, there's, there's some secrets for sure. I mean, we've, we've hired hundreds, if not thousands of influencers. I'll tell you right now, my statistic and probably working with thousands of influencers, two out of every 10 are good. Um, two out of every 10 can make you money. The other rest of them are going to just be shit. (laughs) It's just the truth. Um, but yeah. Here's what I found about influencers that do really well for you is if they, they, there is a requirement for them to have a personal connection to their audience. What makes influencers be able to sell is that they actually talk on their stories. They share their life there. It's more than just business. Typically, if they're pretty well rounded and they're on their stories, I'll tell you right now, if they post at least eight stories a day and they're showing their life and communicating face to face with their audience, they'll sell really well. If they are just posting clout pictures and sexy pictures and, and you know, not on their stories, they're not personal. They won't do well. That's yeah. a good tip. Yeah, I've been. Yeah, that's uh, a good. great tip. Yeah, yeah, so I've been running our for our company for a while, and and we spend quite a bit on on influencers, and and I've have a lot of experience in that space. And what I found the past couple of years is the huge influencers, like let's say a million plus, mm-hmm. they don't get shit. No, nope. for the majority. I mean, obviously, there's there's statistics, there's variables. Like there's obviously some that are probably fantastic, right? But mm-hmm. in theory, like when I look at it and I look at like our data, the big ones, because I think psychologically, when a when a user sees that these million followers that are like professional creators, that's all they do. 
they know that their message is ingenuine because they they can put it together that they're getting paid for that message so it sure. doesn't feel as organic yep the micro ones let's say like between zero and like say, say twenty thousand, like your ex-wife to me when i watch them it's like without even knowing them or saying anything i i know that's not their full-time career so right. if they're pushing out that message it's probably genuine mm-hmm. so okay so I'll, I'll take that person's opinion but if i look at this girl who just shows her ass on Instagram and she has a million followers and 50% of them are fake and mm-hmm. all her engagement is fake and all the guys just creepy dudes from like Dubai. Yep. Then <laughs> it's like, to me, I don't, you know, I, I, I don't think that person's going to do shit. You'll pay $5,000 and, and you yep. really get zero return. Yep. So the influencer space is, is changing and it's changing pretty fast. You know, like there's a lot of people went the, the macro route. Now people are going the micro route and mm-hmm. you know, there's so many different, there's Twitter influencers and LinkedIn influencers now. And, obviously TikTok is coming up there's just so much there's mm-hmm. so much in that space to learn from i really like the um the strategy of if they're really engaging with their audience like through stories mm-hmm. and sharing their life more mm-hmm. than just more than just like generic pictures on their main feed i think that's a good Huge. metric to look at yeah. the quality uh, the quality of the person matters yeah it's yeah. a great like time more more. Yeah, it's a great well, time yeah well, it, you, you can waste yeah you can waste a lot of money it's the simple thing is this is people want to if, if they feel like they know you they'll buy from you. So if, a couple like yeah. the metaphor, or like transitioning this to a different platform. When you look at like men who have succeeded on YouTube, two guys that I look at it are Christian Guzman with Alpha Lee and, and uh, Savage and, and Nick Bear with Bear BPN, right? <laughs> Those guys, how did they create multi, multi-million dollar brands? Well, they were in front of a damn YouTube or camera all the time sharing their life. Like ever, they took you everywhere. And so even my ex-wife, when I study how she did so well at selling, and she still does, is because she took people everywhere. They, they felt like they genuinely knew her. And when they feel like it's, it's so weird, man, because now if people feel like they know you through the camera, like they know about your wife, they know about your, you know, your dog, they know about, you know, where you go to breakfast and they will literally buy anything from you. But most people aren't willing to, to do that because it is a full-time job to take your camera. And so like for me, I'm not great at it because I don't like sharing everything I do. Like I could sell, if I want to just go all in and just share my whole life and with people, I would sell 10 times more. It's just the truth. The model yep. is there. Look at YouTube. So, so, go ahead. So do you think those people like and maybe your ex-wife, do they have like a camera crew following them around all day or, or were they literally just... Like vlogging. You know, like, vlog, like vlogging from their phone and just kind of <clears throat> making clips and making YouTube videos. Because we've been trying to grow our personal brand and, you know, and I, I think I'm similar or we're probably all kind of similar to you. Like we don't share mm-hmm. everything that we do all the time. It, it feels, I don't know, it feels weird to do. It doesn't feel natural to do. But I, I the people who have invested into that and don't give a fuck and just go for it, those are the ones that have the massive followings and and have the engaged followers and like you said they can sell anything to them of of what i notice in the influencer world and like social media is you kind of have to go all in on your niche you know like you have to look at your social media like a reality tv channel Mm -hmm. like why is someone going to tune in and engage with your shit so christian guzman you know he was a like a bodybuilder and so you know he had that the new guy right now is like what cost sam altman is that his name sam sulik you know he's he built a million followers on on youtube and like was it six months or something? Now he's like the biggest thing, you know, mm. and, and all he did was just vlog his bodybuilding, what he's eating, you know, the whole nine. So, you know, you kind of got to go all in on a niche, you know, like yeah. what is going to make, is it, are you an anxiety person? You can talk about anxiety tips. Okay. I'll tune in. I think in. it's whatever you are as yeah, a person. I think that's I, the difference, like the, yeah. being genuine. Well, no, know? genuine. That's, a, that's but, also where we have a problem in particular. Like I can't be like, you know, like I can't have like a, a costume or like a character it's like we just gotta i gotta be like 100 percent all me or i can't well, do it's it. dangerous yeah. on your mental too the imposter syndrome if you start playing that game oh, you start yeah. playing games on social media of acting like someone you're not yeah and then you know you have that internal dialogue when you're you're, you're home at night i mean that could be really dangerous right. we've already mm-hmm. been through that like i'm not trying to pretend like i'm anybody i'm not anymore you know like right. the person i'm gonna show is the one that i'm gonna be fucking proud of right. the, because the, it's real right the genuine the people i see or the they find a niche in their genuine person right like again like if i spoke you know i deal with anxiety right so if i talked about anxiety tips or something that is true to who i am or what i dealt with yeah you know what i'm saying so it sounds more organic and genuine you know compared if i talk to something else that maybe i don't have much experience yeah with, but, you know? but, to his, but to his point it's like in order to get that 
you would need to have you would need to be like um vlogging about it all the all time. the time yeah right. you know not mm-hmm. just sitting in front of a camera and making like a, a scripted tips, video right. like tips on it it's like having that shit following you all the time so they yeah. see with how how you're dealing with your anxiety or whatever ups and downs in, 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 a, in a live situation you know yeah exactly yeah so that's a that's a, a thing but those who invest in it are the ones who make it up make it huge yeah know? yeah i think both points are that right really is that good. that was a really I, good tip both points are right is that you have to have a niche or niche but but you also behind it you're showing other things too right so like if your thing was anxiety but every story you posted was about anxiety every post was about anxiety every reel was about anxiety people are like man all this dude talks about is anxiety but if like your your primary right. focus <laughs> like for me what yeah. i've learned is like i'm i'm usually everywhere because i'm an entrepreneur military guy um you know i've got kids family like i, I would spread my audience so far and now, like since I'm running Crucible and, and my next 10 years is dedicated to building men, like all I speak to is men now. Like I've just made all my messaging about men and I'll still show like obviously what I eat, mm-hmm. my, my, my New York strips. I know you guys are some, maybe some of you guys are doing carnivore or whatever I think I saw. Um, but yeah, I, I show my eating. I show my kids a little bit, but all I talk about is the problems with men and like the solutions for men now. And I'm getting a lot more uh, traction that way. Hmm. Yeah, that's awesome, and, and and that that's like your niche. You know, you know who your audience is. You're speaking to your audience, and it's true to who you are. So it's it's it, it's probably easier because it's very natural for you. You know, because yeah. like you're living it. The hard thing for me was right? I have I have ninety ninety three percent female followers. So really, yeah, it's a good looking dude, man. I know. I'm <laughs> fucking act surprised. I don't man. know if it's about that scumbag over here. <laughs> yeah. Cover a Men's Health magazine, right? Yeah, men's fitness. At yeah. some point, men's fitness. Cool. Two thousand. I got a question. Yeah. So when when you when that's you got, awesome. when you got into the supplements, like we all know that that's a very busy space. Yeah. How'd you stand out? Like, yeah, influencers, you know that that part of it. But what made you stand out was we you know did you guys promote that you were military owned or uh, you know veteran based backed? Like, what what was your kind of differentiator in that market? Uh, we found our niche. Our niche was our niche actually because of the influencer network that we built. Like when I first built this company, it was supposed to be for the bodybuilding community. And then I met my ex and it it went a different direction. And so we ended up building it together on what Mm -hmm. was working. And what we found was it was like our niche at that point was like 26 year old women who had never taken supplements before, but were looking for something to help them. And so there was nobody Mm -hmm. in that space because most girls that are 27 that are fitness girls are not taking supplements. So it was, it was like this weird transition that happened that I didn't think of. And I honestly, I was not passionate about it. I hated it. Cause I'm like, I don't, you know, I ain't trying to make supplements for 27 year old girls. Like I don't, that ain't my purpose, but it was making money. And so we just went mm-hmm. all in on it and it worked, you know, no, there's really no very few 27 year old girls who are not into fitness, super, you know, like fitness addicts or whatever are looking to buy supplements, but we would educate them and tell them how it was going to help them. And then it was an easy sell because there was no one else in that space. Hmm. But as I tried to transition yeah. back that to that whole better in military own, like it's, it's too diluted. I mean, I, I can't outspend anybody like first form and some of these companies that are, you know, like, right. It's, it's hard. It's definitely challenging. Yeah. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about Crucible, right? Um, and, and you mentioned Carnivore. So where where into I've been? I did Carnivore for like eight months, and then I, I got off for a while, and then now I'm getting back on. Now Lucho's on Carnivore. Um, we're trying to get Tino on, but so you've been on. Have you been on Carnivore for a while, or is it something new for you? Or can you speak a little bit about that? About the yeah, diet? basically for the last eight months, on and off. Like I've kind of like I don't. I wouldn't probably follow all the red tape of carnivore, but, um, most of my diet is red meat. Yeah. And has it like improved your, like, what are the benefits of it for you? Like, is it your mental, your physical, both, both, both for sure. When I was eating, I've realized that, um, you know, 
not all carbs are terrible, but I realize how little we actually need them. And I, I can't go keto because I tried to swing all the way to full carnivore, which is really keto if you're not eating fruit or anything else. And that fucked my testosterone. Even though I'm on TRT, it was still like, it still was messing with my, my testosterone levels. And so I went, oh, okay, that's not good. And I just started doing a bunch of research about how keto is really not really that great for men. Um, and so, I, and I love carbs. So I just kind of came back to this reality of like 80% of my diet is basically red meat and, and butter and cheese and nuts. And then I throw in some pineapple and, and banana and honey and I'll eat some regular potatoes or sweet potatoes here and there, but that's my pretty much my entire diet. I don't really go outside of those like eight things I just mentioned. Um, but I will say my mental stamina, my mental performance, my mental clarity, uh, my energy is a hundred times better than it was when I started that like eight months ago. And then physical yep, performance. For, for me, that's mm. like the most important thing is, is the, the mental when you're that's on it. carnivore and you're eating and you're getting those healthy. It's like, crazy even though i could probably lose weight doing like a macro diet and and having like being in a calorie deficit and having a balance of carbs and everything the way you feel on on carnivore is is the awesome energy the energy too is like more stable i've known yes absolutely like you just have like the proper amount of energy but like consistent throughout the day like i feel like i was way more up and down before like i could just yep. pass out at like three o'clock in the afternoon or yep. one night one night i'm tired early one night i'm awake all night like I, it's just steady mm-hmm mm. And it's just, I'm, I'm like, I'm not tired. I'm good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel fine. Yeah. yeah. It's when you really look at the, how, like how food was introduced to humans, like how we were supposed to eat thousands of years ago. It's like, we didn't have access to, to create, eat carbs all the time. That was like a luxury along the journey of a hunt that we found some berries. Right. And so, you know, those, right. that I try to, I try to take my diet and make it as natural as like God created us to how we would actually find food and gather food and hunt. And if I live like that, then I will always be at my prime. But when I go outside of that and I start doing what society has brought into me, then it's always going to do something that it's not supposed to. I'll feel like I'm not supposed to. So I just try to be very simple with it. Like God created these types of foods, not all this processed bullshit. And I'm going to eat as God provided food to me the best that I can without coloring outside of those lines. And I feel great. Oddly enough, weird how we eat, if we eat how God created us to eat, that we actually feel good. Super bizarre, right? Right. Yeah. If you, what if a you, coincidence. One of the craziest thing every time I, I get down the rabbit hole, like the gods, like when you, like how you mentioned, like, you know, God created this. If you really think about it, our medicines on the plant were li- are literally made from the ground that God gave, right? And then you look at like horses, right? It's almost like God put them on the planet for like human transportations. Like we fit right on their backs. Mm -hmm. You know, like if you really think about it, how crazy, like a lot of the stuff, water, essentials, vitamins, you know, we get vitamin, you know, D from the sun, all this stuff. It's all natural that God Mm -hmm. created on the planet. It's fucking crazy when you really think about it. Right. Animals are cool too, you know. Dogs, friggin' uh, they're like, sheep, like yeah. all the milk, friggin' cows. Yeah, you know? exactly. It gets well, crazy. Exactly. The one thing that's yeah, really I, blowing my mind, guys, and maybe you don't know this, but this is what's really this is blowing my mind over the last year is I've gotten really into fasting and things. But you know, you guys know when you fast, you go into autophagy. Autophagy is the body's uh, natural ability to heal itself at the cellular level. So, like you can, you can cure cancer disease with autophagy, right? Is with fasting. But think about this guys, when you get sick and you get a fever, you don't have an appetite. You, you know why that is? Because your body's trying to fast to actually repair the cells and heal you, right? So like even fasting, it's normal for us to go two days without eating because we would have to go hunt and kill. So we might go two days without, but we eat three times a day, right? It's so dumb that we do what we do. Hmm. It's, I, I, yeah, just did, awesome. I just did my first 72 hour fast. So I started learning about it and it is funny. So basically your body goes into a state of like repair because your body thinks you're in survival mode when you don't eat. So it sheds all these like to- toxins in your body mm-hmm. and stuff because your body is like, okay, it's time to bunker down, figure out all the shit that we need, all the shit you don't, and it starts to flush. Okay. So I'm going to start doing, you know, I, my next fast is uh, the second week in uh, January. I'm going to do another 72 hour fast. I think it's really important. It's funny you said that. I, I literally just completed it like, I want to say like two or three weeks ago. That's incredible. Uh, and it's interesting. And I, when I looked into it, it's fucking crazy. I, I've never done does. a multiple day fast yet. What's your theory on like daily? Are you, are you eating one meal a day, two, three meals a day? Like, how do you feel about that on a regular basis? I would say I eat two meals a day max, 
Um, sometime, like, uh, so pretty much my routine every single day, nine out of 10 days, is I fast until 11 or noon most days. And then I will eat nuts and raw cheese. I always break my fast with nuts and raw cheese. So I have like uh, cashews, I like cashews, macadamia nuts, walnuts. I'll, what I do is I take and I'll put a handful of nuts and I'll chop up raw cheese because I love cheese. And then I'll put a little bit of MCT oil and salt and I'll just mix it all together. And it's just phenomenal. It, it tastes like a meal. It's incredible. Throw a little salt and pepper on it. Mm. That actually cures my hunger from my fast and it keeps me in a state of ketosis and keeps my energy high because what I can't do is eat carbs. And then by two o'clock, I can't even think to run my business, right? So I, I, I play no games of jeopardy of whether I'm going to have the energy to continue to have the mental performance to work until I need to. But then if I'm still hungry, I will eat like two grass fed burgers, uh, you know, early afternoon, one or two with some avocado. And then I don't eat carbs really until night. And that's not even night. It's like 6 PM. I'll eat a New York strip and a sweet potato. And that's really my carbs for the day. Other places that I'll, imp I'll implement carbs is after I've had nuts and cheese and, and meat, then occasionally if I'm going to the gym or something, I'll eat a banana with some honey or some pineapple. And that's pretty much yep. every day of the week for me. It's crazy how important your diet is, man. It could it could literally make or break your your day. Yeah. Legit. If you have a pizza, it's that you're fucked for that day yep. and you're fucked for the next day. <laughs> right. Low key, you know? <laughs> Is that a principle that you're, you know, with, with people who join your program, like, is that something that you're working with them on? Is, is their nutrition? Like, like take us through somebody who's, you know, who may be joining uh, Crucible in, in, you know, kind of what are some of the principles that you're teaching them? Is it diet, nutrition, how to live their life, how to be, you know, a good family person, business? Yeah, I, I, I find that diet is one of the hardest things to crack with people because people just had, like, I even look at where I was at six months ago and I'm like, if you would have told me I wouldn't eat bread anymore and all these things that I love, I would have, I would have been like, you're a psychopath. Like I'm never giving up bread. But, and so like diet is a really hard thing to transition people to because people will, will go in and then they fall out and then they go in and they follow out, fall out. So I just teach the principles of what I eat and I hope people catch on. I don't, but I don't ever give them diet programs or anything. Cause I just don't, I, I think it's too wishy-washy for most people. Um, I just pr preach what I do. And I think some people start to follow along as far as guys that join crucible. I mean, really it's what, like, I just begin to, 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 to give them truths about themselves that no, but no other man will tell them. I think is really important. I think we all should have had a father that spoke some truth into us, uh, but also gave some love and some compassion. But I, I, I take a very, like, it sounds weird, but I take a very fatherly approach to, to men that because most men have not had good fathers or had fathers at all at all. And some guys are even older than me and I don't look at myself as a father, but I go, what is a man in your corner? What do you need to know? And so I'll begin to call them on the things that they're doing and call out the behaviors. But then I also, I, I give them love and compassion. I believe in them because most men don't have someone that believes in them. And if you look at every successful entrepreneur's journey or someone's rise, there's always been, I look at the Ed Milets and, and some of the other people, there's always someone that stepped into a man's life and said, while he was in this broken place and felt hopeless and goes, you know what, man, I see something in you. I, I believe in you. And I think as men, we all need someone to go, there's actually something about you that's, that's great here that I think could be incredible if you go in and all of a sudden it's like, holy shit, another man with influence believes in me. And so I give this level of like truth and, and, and just honesty, but also this level of belief. And that's how I coach really is this, this, this back and forth dance of like, you know, you're not perfect as you are. You need to work harder. You need to follow your dream, but also, Hey man, just so you know, I believe in you. I know you can do great things. And so in my coaching calls, I'm teaching a lot of high levels of discipline and accountability. Um, I text these guys every single morning to make sure that they see my name pop up on their phone first thing. And they're going, okay, coach is watching, coach is watching. You know what I mean? It's just this, this high levels of standards and accountability that you can't find anywhere else in your life. So where I have so many questions, but one of the questions is what got you into it, right? So can you just talk about that transition? So you have the supplement company, you know, now you want to start this company and it sounds like you have, you know, I want to talk about purpose a little bit with you, but it sounds like you, your purpose started to shift. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously, like you mentioned, you know, you have your background. Can you talk a little bit about what kind of motivated you to get into this space and then talk a little about what your, what your purpose is that kind of ties into that? Yeah. So there was this moment about a year ago and I had, I had run a coaching company with a guy before, um, 
And so I, it's, coaching has always been a thing that I've done either for free or it's, I've been coaching for years. A lot of times it's just been voluntary, helping people build businesses and things. And, but I had this moment about a year ago and I had, I had this wake up moment where I realized that everything I had built in the nutrition industry was because of the needs that I was filling in myself of vanity and acceptance. And I went, Oh shit. Like I had this whole reality shift that goes, the reasons that you were in for this, in this before, before no longer match what you're in for in life now. Like it was just, there was this just disassociation that goes supplements and fitness and, and six packs and, and, and the 405 pound bench press. Those are all things that filled needs of your past. And it's the reason that you got here. But now I just work out to be healthy. Like I don't even align with this industry anymore. Like I, I don't take any supplements myself except for some electrolytes anymore. And when I began to realize that I don't even use the shit that I'm selling, I went, I can't do this anymore. It's not authentic. But what I also realized is like people were stepping into my corner and I was mentoring and, and I, and, and so I look at this in my faith is that, that God was telling me, Hey man, this whole thing of the past you needs to go away. And if you trust me, you need to go all in on the thing that I'm leading you to. And it's just the signs kept going and coming. And I was resistant to it because I was like, yeah, but I got 93% female followers. How am I going to sell men on this coaching thing? But I just kept believing in it and I kept believing in it. And the more I believed in it, the more I, the more I pursued it, the more opportunities came. And all of a sudden, like people were paying me lots of money to work with them one-on-one. -on -one. And I'm like, okay, this is crazy. And, and so I just hit a point where I, I was been tagging along this nutrition company and not putting effort into it. And it's, and it's just going under. And because I just don't even care about it anymore. I'm like, I went, fuck it. I'm making the shift. I don't even care about the company. I don't care about the money. I don't care about none of that shit. I'm going to go on in all in on what I know I'm here on this earth for. And that was a transitional moment. And then since then, everything has really transformed in my life. A lot, right. a, lot, a lot of the time is listening to God's calling, right? That's you know, it. There's a lot of these calls and feelings and momentum and intuition, and people don't really know what that is. And, and science is, is hard to understand what that is. But if, if you boil it down to it's just God's calling, you know, yeah. there he, he kind of nudges you into things without you knowing. And some people can either pick up on that and run with it, or some people look at it as, oh, that's just ignore it, <laughs> ignore it, right. you know. But if it's yeah. like you said, your, your faith really pushed you forward. Yep. So, I have a question on, on that topic. So were you always a man of faith? Like, did you grow up in a, in a household that was a man, like a, a faithful household or was it more, you know, as you grew, you know, how did that come about? Do you mind talking about that? No, I, I, I mean, I grew up in a, I grew up in, in re religious, a religious home, a Catholic home in which, you know, uh, is what I learned now at this point in my life that there's a difference between relationship with God and religion and religion, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan of big time. The, yeah. So growing up, I grew up in a Catholic home. I also went to a Lutheran church and I, le I learned to hate God and I ran from God. In fact, if you, mm. four years ago, I remember having conversations calling out Jesus and how like just trying to de defy the reality that he even existed. But then it was, it was the moment in 2019, 2020, I think it was early yeah, March, 2020 when I had achieved millions of dollars of success. I had a family, I had everything. It's the story you may have heard from my, on my social that I was literally, I just was actually going through a divorce. I was at my all time low as a human, it was going to take my life. And I just screamed out to a God that I didn't know. And I said, God, if, if there's a reason for you to save me, then save me. The only way that I recognized, uh, potentially God or someone talking to me. It was by the number 444, which is an angel number. And I know that God doesn't necessarily speak in angel numbers, but, but it was the way that he could speak to me in that moment. And as I was going to kill myself, I saw in the parking lot in front of me, the numbers 444, which I called off the mission, the abort the mission. And from that point, I became, I became obedient to something here saved me. Something is bigger than me. It's not just you being God, Nathan. There's actually something bigger than you that you need to believe in. And that transition over the next few months, I got invited to a church. I, I, I had no male friends. And all of a sudden, like me going zero to Jesus was like this transition. And I was like, I spent 33 years 
on the other side of this, trying to be my own God and, and trying to chase the money and the fame and the success and the wife and the kids and all this shit left me so broken and empty that I will never go back to that life or believe that that's the way for me because I realized that the truth was that God was chasing me the whole time. And when I finally submitted and surrendered to him, everything in my life changed. And so I, I, I told myself, and actually through, this is a very important point is that I found God through women and, and I had, I've had troubles with women my whole life. I've had two divorces. I've, um, I've had, tr I've, I've looked for my worth in women. And so this girl I was dating bought me a Bible and, uh, we had this very lustful relationship and she had my name printed on it. We were only dating for like two months, but her parents wouldn't approve of me because I was not a Christian. And so I told myself when she bought me this Bible, I said, Hey, Nathan, if you're going to begin to read scripture and, and do this, don't do it for her. Make sure that if you guys break up, that you go all in on God and figure this thing out without her. Don't do it for her. Cause that's what I would normally do in my past. And that alone, that moment is what transitioned me to go to church. And since the first day I stepped into a church, I found an incredible church and pastor here. I've probably missed two weekends in the last three and a half years. It's just, I've went all in and I realized that that's what it's I was missing. It's so important to find that too. How do you, how do you, how important do you think it is to find the right pastor in church? Because we grew up in a in a I wouldn't say we're a religious family really. You know, we went to church on like the holidays. You know, and my mom like you know taught us about it, but it wasn't like a an everyday or you know really a thing. And what bore, what kind of got me away from it when I was younger was the the kind of old school scripture, mm -hmm. older pasture mentality of church, where it was just very mundane. Mm -hmm. You know, the, everything, everyone was older, you know, it wasn't anything modernized that anything that they would speak about was just any, nothing that could relate. Mm -hmm. And then recently, you know, I, I found a, a nice church that's young and the pastor is young and they talk about modern things that can, that anyone can relate to. And then it, you, it feels more connected mm -hmm. and a, more of a community. So how important do you think it is to, to find like that right church and, and the right pastor? There's two points I have about this. So yes, it's it's highly important, and it's highly important by yes, you got to need to you need to kind of feel like that. One is, can I feel the Holy Spirit when I walk into this place? That's a big thing, right? Mm -hmm. Some churches you don't feel anything when you walk in. I like my church. I feel the Holy Spirit moving every time I'm in there. The second thing is like, is the pastor actually preaching the Bible or are they preaching religion? Like you have to be very. And as a new Christian or someone who maybe doesn't know a lot about Christianity. You have to be able to discern what that is, right? Like, because a lot of a lot of churches are doing things that are not in accordance with the Bible, right? And so, mm -hmm. as I've learned this, and Great I time. and so and and also, there's this like commingling of current society and new age. And so, no, no, no. If your if your pastor is not preaching that Jesus is the only way to heaven, then you're not at the right church because he's not actually preaching what the Bible. I, I look at this as if I'm going to be a Christian, I got to follow the truth that is set in the Bible, and I can't take bits and pieces of like what I want to some scripture that I want to read here and then believe what I want to believe out here. It's just no. It's either you're all in or you're out. Like the Bible is written like that for a reason. That's God wants you to follow his word. And so it's a hundred percent important that you find a church that you have the right pastor preaching the right message, you know, from the Bible, but also that, you know, is not that's like, I, I, I went to one church once cause a friend invited me and it felt like my childhood. And it, I, I literally had like, my heart was racing. Cause I was like, I never want to go back to that place. It was like old hymns. And like, I was just like, I can't do this. Like yep. part of that might be some consumer consumerism in me, but I, you know, it's, it is important. It's highly important. Yeah. yeah. One thing that I, um, that I envy when I, when I speak to people like uh, that have strong faith, like you, it's like you, you sound in your voice, like with so much conviction and like, you're just so sure of the path that you're on. Like you're not questioning at all. Like even, even the transition from your successful nutrition company to this new calling, there's no like second guessing yourself. It's just, this is what I'm meant to do. Like this was the, the, this is my calling. This was the sign. I recognize it and I'm going and I'm never looking back and I have no, no questions about it. Yep. There's something like just to hear you talk about it. That's so like, you know, freeing and it, 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 it's like, um, I don't know even how to put a Do word on it, but it's is? like the, the conviction is so strong, you know? Do I know what it is? And Nathan, you can, you can agree or not, or not here is anytime I talk to someone who has crazy faith and purpose and they're so like happy and content is they fully surrendered to the mm -hmm. process of faith. Mm -hmm. Like they're, they're not, 
con- trying to control their destiny so hard and control mm-hmm. every controllable, they kind of have that ease of surrender. Do you, do you think that that's true? That's it. And, and, and what I've realized through this is that that is a daily process, right? Surrender yeah. is not like a once I'm like, okay, God, take it. Take me where you want to go. I'll, I'll follow. No, no, no. Like, because, because my own will, my own strength, my own desires will, will capture me every single day. And I want to follow what Nathan wants to do. Truthfully, as a human, we want to be the king of our own castle, right? We want to, we want, we want all the things that we want, the lust, the money. Like if I'm not careful, I'll follow what Nathan wants. And so I'm not perfect at this. But I do 100% agree that it is a daily surrender. And some days I miss it. But when I, when I firmly believe that, that I'm, just like you said, the conviction that I know that I am exactly where God's called me, but this is a big one, guys, and that all the things that have happened in my past, I could sit here and beat myself up, feel guilt for my two, you know, I've, I've had infidelity on my first wife. I've, 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 um, I've got two divorces. I've had a, you know, I've almost gone bankrupt. I could sit here and beat myself up for my path, but I know that my path has led me and given me the skills to be right where I am. And so I feel no guilt about my past. I feel no, no shame about where I've been. I don't, I don't care anymore because exactly where I am is where I'm supposed to be. And everything to this point has taught me a lesson and given me the strength as a man to continue forward and continue to be on the purpose I've been called for. Mm. I love that. It's powerful, love, man. I love and, it. And, that, and these are probably some of the things that you talk about with your, with your people that you're mentoring, right? In, in the coaching program. Is is that like part of like the the core values of of the program, like what you're trying to help men kind of have conviction, whatever it is that they believe in, to to move forward? Absolutely. I, I I you know as I entered this coaching space, doing this as a Christian is very challenging because the entrepreneurial world that I've been a part of is all about dollars and achievement, and I have to be the one that tells these guys. This is why our group, when you look at it's just different. The type, the type of men and what we're building is just different because I will actually say, even if I have non-Christians in the group, that, that like all those things that most coaches are taking you towards, the money, the fame, the cars, the, the, all the, the watches, that those things actually achieve them. Sure. Want nice things. Sure. But it will never fill the void in your heart that you're looking for. Like There's things that you're chasing in a woman, in a watch, in a house, in a car, in a business, accolades, you're looking for something. And it's not, it's not wrong to want to be successful, but I'm just going to st- stand here and tell you and be completely honest with you because I've lived it. It'll never make you happy. Like you could be so rich and so it discontent. Right. So it's, it's really like, for your, you know, like to get to like the root of like your core, like how to make your, your, you like a better person so you can have fulfillment. So when you do receive those things, you're ready for, you know, you're, you're more fulfilled. So like those nice cars, watches, all that is a byproduct from, of your success. But if you can do that with a strong foundation as a, as a man, um, you know, you're, you will be fulfilled and will be able to actually enjoy those things when you get yep. to that point rather than being yep. miserable when you have them. Absolutely. Yeah, which is a story. I mean, right now there's a there's a there's a lot of issues with modern day men, and especially mm-hmm. with modern day successful men, because mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of when you hear the word successful, you immediately think financially. Mm-hmm. This year and last year, my idea of personally, my idea of success necessarily does not come with money. If I see someone completely at peace, happy, faithful, with a nice family, that's success for me. I don't I don't mm-hmm. really even look at what their money is, um, and that changed though. You know, that changed. When, yeah, that's a new thing. Yeah, when I started hitting, you know, different, you know, I had some lows in my life the past couple of years that kind of put things into perspective a little bit to say like, oh, wait a minute, like maybe it isn't the money. Maybe it is I'd rather just have peace. Maybe it is rather I have an amazing relationship with my brothers that I love and relationship with my parents and things like that, you know? So that that's definitely happened over the years. You know, it wasn't uh, definitely not a all my life thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's absolutely a, a super, super powerful stuff. So what is the um, what is the goal for Crucible, right? So we're we're getting here like the one hour, so we're gonna start, you know, moving forward a little bit. So what um you know what is the goal for for your program? Like, it, where do you see it in in five years? Well, the overarching big vision is just to change masculinity. Like, just to masculinity is an overhaul overhaul, and I know that every single man 
will minimizes the impact he has on the world. You know, like I, I look at this, my business partner that I brought into this company, he's my C, COO and business partner. He's been, we've been doing this, what we call a well walk, which is a mile a day. You write physical, mental, spiritual, emotional. The, 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 the premise is that men must fill themselves, fill their own cups so that they can pour and be leaders into their families and other people, right? Take care of you first is, is the, is the premise, right? And he went home to Oklahoma and in his, you know, they all eat fried food and all this stuff. And, and so, and he's changed. And so now he, like, he goes back and all of a sudden his dad, who's like 75 is starting to do this walk every day. But my point is that hmm. as a man, we minimize the impact that we have to every single person that we actually interact with every single day. And for the rest of your life, right? Like you run into someone at the grocery store, another man, you can either be a positive influence or a negative, like your kids, your wife, like you have so much power as a man and what you will impact people by that. I believe is if I can take 20, 20 men, 40 men, 100 men, 1,000 men, that the ripple effect that we have on masculinity when I teach men to be able to be okay with themselves, to be able to, to get rid of their mental health issues, to be able to, to be leaders, to be accountable to themselves, to, to, to know what it's like to have male friendships and to, have, and to actually just you know, own your damn life, that that ripple effect will change masculinity in the world. And I hate masculinity right now in the world. And so the big vision is that I want to change masculinity or God will change it through me. And, and, and building what, what I would mm. consider the, the principles of godly men, which, you know, that I have my own Powerful. beliefs about that. But so that's the big vision, right? I'm, my, I'm, I'm in this for the next 10, 20 years, right? This, the, this is my purpose. This, I think this is truly why God put me on this earth. And I had to go through all the shit that I've gone through and make all the mistakes to get here. And so I'm, I'm well qualified now, right? But beyond that, I mean, the, the goal is like, we got some awesome things. You know, we're building this group. It's a very intimate group, it'll, but it'll grow to the point where I can't text every single guy every day because I can't text 700 guys a day. Um, it'll grow to the point, you know, we're doing our first fly out in this mansion across the street. Uh, I want to take and, and, and build guys and build community and, and teach them and get them accountability and then bring them together and then do the same thing. Take them, teach them online because I could not do this online full time. I, I know the power of being in person. And so... We're going to do flyouts, like four flyouts a year. I have my 33 hours event um, that we'll continue to run. We'll continue to build in big live events with top speakers. And it won't be washed, this washed out personal development thing. It will always have a deep meaning and purpose uh, to building what I would consider like the brotherhood I experienced in the military where you know your dude's got your back. But this weird virtual in-person experience that just grows year by year by year teaching men what it's like to be a masculine man. How, how are you d differentiating yourself in the market? Because right now, obviously, self-development is a huge thing. You know, coaching, mentorship the past three, four years exploded. And I feel like every person right now on social media that has any decent following is trying to get into the space or, or is in the space. How are you differentiating yourself marketing-wise, uh, even like granular stuff that you're doing a little bit different? I'm curious to kind of hear how you're um, trying to do that. Well, you know, that, that's something that's something we're still figuring out. But what I'm realizing is my my voice and my story when I'm vulnerable and authentic and just tell it like it is just like I have today, that it attracts men in a different way than most other men. There's plenty of other top level mm -hmm. men who are running these male coaching academies but they're just teaching you the same shit that they do and that has made them unhappy with their lives. And so all, like I can tell what, what God has done in me has created a very authentic and vulnerable and open version of me that, that I'm, I will be willingly stand naked in front of men and, and put all my shit on the line. And that attracts a different crowd of men who say, man, I can trust this guy because he's real, he's authentic. And so when I just when in my ads and in my in my outreach, you know, it's just it's just me. And that's attracting people. And I think my so my my methodology over 2024 is just actually this right here, like ads and all this shit, it brings in people, but they're hard to close because they don't understand it. But if I just go get on a bunch of podcasts and tell my story and just be real with people about my story and, they, and people go, there's something different about this guy that I didn't see in the other guy, then people will come. And so speaking on stages next year, lots of stages and getting on podcasts, lots of podcasts of people that have audiences, even this one, I, I know for a fact people will reach out to me from this podcast because every single one I've been on, people go, man, I heard you on Behind the Rise. I loved your story, man. I connected to that a lot. And I go, okay, 
might be one or two yeah. guys, but it's it's how yeah. we're spreading influence. Yeah, and, and and you can just hearing his message is different than any anybody else we've right. we've ever talked to at any other program. I think just your core principles that you're that you're teaching. It's not just about making money. It's about becoming a, a better man and you know being more masculine. I think that in itself is is a differentiator. You know, I also think people connect with vulnerability. I think one of my biggest pet peeves on social media that I see is everyone sits on this tower pretending as if their shit doesn't stink, pretending as if everything they touched is gold. And that to me is the biggest pet peeve because I know if I dig down into that person's mm. life and peel back onions, there's there's issues there. And oh, yeah. the people that are open and vulnerable about those issues and open and vulnerable about the shit that they've dealt with is that's where people connect with. Cause that's, yep. you're looking at that person like they're a human, not a, not like yep. a demigod that they think that they are, <laughs> you know? And me personally, you know, I, I, I think I more connect with vulnerability than anything. I think that's why I connect with a guy like Ed Milet, who's more of an empath yep. uh, and the way that he speaks, he leads with more love and he leads with more understanding. And I think you kind of have a similar aura about you where, you know, you, you lead with love, but you understand the, the principles of, of discipline and, and masculinity. Mm-hmm. So it kind of has that good balance, you know? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Great. So Nathan, last question that we have that we ask every guest um, is uh, what is the best piece of advice that you've either received or that you know that you can pass on to the audience that they can take away from this? Hmm. Probably the most freeing piece of advice that I've had to learn, and it's been a challenge, um, and that I would give other people, is that you've got to figure out who you are and just be you. And the reason I say that is because, Mm. you know, I just taught on my, actually, I just taught on my last call on Friday for men especially, but women do this too, the mask of masculinity and and the nine different masks that men wear that are covering up our insecurities. There's like the alpha male, the sports guy. We all have this personality that we put on around, especially around other men that, that we use to fit in and to be good and to be cool. And so what I wanna tell everybody on your audience is that deep inside of you is a really good person, a really, a really awesome person. And that when you get around people, if you notice you're changing your personality, you're changing who you are, you're talking differently, you're showing off a little bit more, that, that, that you're actually defying your, your identity. And so when you look inside, you need to really understand who you are and the awesome, incredible qualities that you are. And you don't got to be nobody else. You don't got to show off. You ain't got to have any of these other things that people have to fit in. The, the best version and the most peaceful and freeing version of you is is the real you. And I challenge you, so many people will deny this message because they go, I'm being me, but there's some bullshit to that story because you are changing who you are in front of other people. But when you're authentically you and you just hang out with people who accept you as you are, it will completely change the peace in your life. That's it. Mm, Mic drop. I dig it. Love that. Hang on, Nathan, where where can our listeners find you? Um, I'm on every social media platform, but really at this point in my life, only active on Instagram. So Instagram is the best place to find me at Nathan Mansfield, um, just as it sounds, Mansfield. Um, and so I communicate with nearly every DM I get there. As long as you're not coming to hate, then I'll just block you. But if you're coming to engage and, and be a cool person and relate with me, then I, uh, I love speaking to people. And so Instagram is the best place to find me. Awesome. Yeah. All right, everybody, go follow Nathan. Uh, let's see, you know, if you connected, you know, join his program. And uh, Nathan, thank you so much for taking the time today. I know you're very busy, especially on a weekend, spend time with the family, but we appreciate it. And uh, we'll be talking to you soon. Yes, it was it was a, it was an honor, guys. I love love getting to know you guys a little bit better, and I uh, look forward to getting to know you even better in the coming months. So appreciate you guys so much.